Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. It's Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald. As always, Stephen, we are going to be doing some more game recaps. Where do you want to start? Well, a couple of gamers before we head into an extended absence, not of, uh, of the podcast, but of the games themselves. Um, we are going to be talking about a couple pretty close games, very competitive overtime game between Chicago and Washington that you attended, and then Friday night's game between the Lynx and the Aces. Um, let's start with the game you you were at in Chicago, an overtime loss, 89-85, Washington wins in Chicago. Where should we start with the Mystics win? Well, just some general thoughts uh, before we go into our little deep dive here. Uh, this is a game I feel like the Mystics just outplayed the sky pretty much in, in, in every phase of the game. And I know that sounds pretty simple, but this guy were playing from behind basically the entire game. And um, they weren't, I felt like they weren't really able to sustain much momentum or, or at least take advantage of Mystics, Mystics miscues, uh, at least until the end of the game when they, when they were able to tie it up and briefly take the lead in the fourth quarter before surrendering that offensive rebound and uh, put back and then eventually losing in overtime. But also it was just as an aside, it was a really, really awesome environment because there was, I believe, uh, a Nike AAU summit, some sort of thing. Uh, it happens every year in Chicago by Wintrust Arena. And whenever, you know, there, there's always a Sky Game scheduled after that, probably strategically. But the arena was packed with with young ballers and coaches and people looking to recruit and family members and stuff. So it was really dope. Like, it was, it was a very uh, – it was a playoff environment, and it was a really fun game to attend. Uh, my team couldn't get the win, but it was, it was a good game. We'll just put it that way. It was a good competitive game, and I think we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, it seemed like a pretty uh, rocking atmosphere. It seemed like a, a fun one to be at. Um, and you you mentioned that you know Washington was the better team. I think uh, they pretty clearly also had the best player on the court in Tina Charles. Thirty four points on thirty shooting possessions. I mean, Charles was awesome in this one. This was an MVP caliber performance from Tina Charles. Um, you know, I think she is really gaining momentum in that uh, in the MVP vote or the, the, pop, the popular vote, right? The vote that doesn't actually count. But I mean, typically you don't see MVP votes coming for a player on a team who has, you know, on a team that's like below 500 or whatever. But man, if there was ever one to be given, I think you'd have to consider Tina Charles this season because she's just been incredible. I mean, this guy really couldn't do anything with her. And she was, I mean, she was, a diff- she carried this team. Granted, the Mystics, there are some, they had some players who did some other good things as well. And it's never a, a one player effort, but I was, I was amazed at what I saw by Tina Charles. Like, this is the best I've seen her play ever in person. Yeah, it was a great game uh, from Charles. A lot of one on one coverage, it felt like from Chicago. I mean, how, how did you kind of yes. feel about what Chicago? Obviously, they have a couple strong post defenders and, you know, Oddly enough, I thought Dolson did a great job to start on Charles. And uh, when they sort of made the switch to Parker full-time guarding Charles as her individual defender, I thought that was kind of when Charles got going a little, I mean, Tina Charles is inevitable, you know, she probably was going to get going either way, but I thought, uh, you know, Charles was one for five with the turnover on Dolson, uh, a couple free throws also, but also, um, you know, seven for 13 with, with some trips to the line against Parker. So she kind of really got it going uh, against Candace Parker, you know, the reigning defensive player of the year, it should be noted. I mean, how did you feel about, you know, as a, as a sky fan, as an observer about kind of how they defended Tina Charles? 
I'm not surprised by how they started to defend Tina Charles because I believe in the first game of the season, they started with Dolson on her as well. And that was a game in which Charles really struggled. Um, and the sky defense really had their way with, with the mystics offense. And Dolson, I think isn't, uh, you know, she did play very well on defense. I'm pleasantly surprised by how she played on defense and not just on Charles. I mean, I think she did all things considered a decent job of moving her feet and, and not getting totally killed on the switch. Dolson was but, great in this game. Yeah, she was really good. She, she was one of the sky's best players. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised that this guy weren't at least bringing some double teams or creating a little, trying to create a little more havoc on defense. I understand that's a little more difficult to do against Washington, which is a team that really prides itself on its ball movement and its three point shooting. You know, they space the floor very well and, and they're, they're unafraid of, of making the extra pass, passing up good shots or better shots and what have you. So they're obviously used to that sort of defense and they, they want opponents to play that sort of defense. But I think, you know, once Tina Charles really gets it going, and, you know, you, you saw that look in her eyes, you know, whenever she had the ball one-on-one in the post, she was, she was taking it to the, to the rim and no one was stopping her. Um, I think once that happens, then this guy should have really turned up the defensive pressure a little bit. And they did more in the second half. I think in the first half, they're a little passive second half. They're a little more aggressive. You look at the box score, they did record a decent amount of steals and Washington did have more turnovers in the sky in, in the game, but it just felt like for most of the game, Tina Charles did her damage against one-on-one coverage, you know, either that or on the offensive glass. Yeah. And we saw, we saw all of Tina Charles back tonight, pretty much. Right. We, did. we, we saw righty hooks, lefty hooks, the jab step mid ranger. Uh, we saw her kind of taking it off the bounce. Uh, the, obviously the three ball. Uh, and a lot of it was done in the paint. You know, she really kind of limited her, her long twos and was very effective at the rim. So it was a great game from Charles. Obviously she had the huge play at the end of the game to keep Washington alive on the offensive rebound and uh, had four additional offensive rebounds to go with that. So she uh, Parker and and company was kind of unable to keep her off the offensive glass where she can be obviously very effective. So uh, definitely a, a great game. Like you said, an MVP type performance from Charles. And what, one thing I just wanted to kind of, add on is like, this is like really a team where she can throw some, some dimes and you do not really want to like, you know, leave many of their options open for, you know, open three point shots. You know, Shavante Zellis is really the one player you look at uh, in the seven or eight players who played for Washington yesterday, where you're like, you know, maybe we can afford to, to shade a little bit, obviously, you know, Sydney, we struggled from behind the arc, Shatori Walker, Kimbrough, but those are players that, you know, if you, if you allow them an open three, you kind of like your chances if you're Washington. So, uh, you know, it's tough. It, <laughs> Tina Charles is, is not an easy cover and, and she was great tonight. Um, the, the, a couple things I wanted to say about Charles in particular, before we get onto somebody else or, or something else. Uh, for one, I think this, that year off last year really did her some good because I don't know, man, she just looks really spry. She looks like she's got good lift and um, you know, you know on, on, on the lefty hooks and the righty hooks, as you were saying, like she's got a very, very impressive arsenal of low post moves. But the last couple of years of her in New York, it just seemed like she was, you know, leaving a lot of the shots short, um, really unable to bully her way past bigger defenders or whatever. But last night, I mean, what, what I saw it was, was incredible for a player of her age. It just looked like she was healthy and had fresh legs and was ready and is, was once again ready to carry a team, as we've seen her do in the past. And in fact, I don't know, like you look at the scoring and you look at how she's been able to evolve her game. This might be the best we've ever seen from Tina Charles to be honest with you, like 
previously, you know, oh, uh, I think Tina Charles had a, a very um, had a reputation of being like this this unstoppable low post player who's a walking double walking 20, 2010 player, and to an extent that might have been true. But I mean, you look at her numbers this year; she's finishing like ex- almost exactly two thirds of her shots at the rim. Um, she's extended her range comfortably behind the three point line. Now we've seen some hints of it in the, in the previous few seasons, but now she's a legitimate threat from behind there. And of course she's, she's destroying teams on the glass. So like this, this may come across, I'm not really sure how else to say this, but what we're seeing from Tina Charles this year, I feel like is almost what people thought they were seeing from Tina Charles previously. And that's no disrespect intended. Like she's always been a great player, but she's just been on a different level this year in Washington. And it's been really impressive to watch because you look at what she's surrounded by. They're the perfect complementary pieces, but it's still without a doubt, Tina Charles's team. And she's been carrying them more effectively than she has any other team previously. Yeah. And I think the numbers bear that out, right? She's scoring more than she ever has uh, both kind of on a per game and per minute basis. Her efficiency is higher than it's ever been. She's hitting at a better rate and a higher volume, you know, her two point, scoring is as good as it's ever been. You know, we haven't really seen um, any dip there as well. So, I mean, she's, she's, she's been great. You know, this was uh, a player who, you know, full disclosure, neither one of us really had huge expectations for uh, unfairly, I guess, you know, based on kind of what we had seen the last few years in New York, you know, I think I was probably even a little bit more cynical than, than you were regarding kind of what to expect from Tina Charles, particularly, you know, if you were to tell me kind of what, the roster around Charles was going to look like no Elena Deladon, like very limited uh, Maisha Hines Allen, no Emma Misaman. You know, it's really, you know, like you said, it, it's they have uh, an all league player alongside her and Ariel Atkins. Um, N- Natasha Cloud is is a great player, a pro, a player that you and I love. But I mean, the other two starters on this team are Shatori Walker Kimbrough and Teresa Plaisance. You know, Plaisance has not really been an effective player the last couple of seasons. Walker Kimbrough wasn't on a roster for most of this year. So, I mean, to, to just consider what she's doing is, is pretty outstanding. Pretty outstanding. And, and for you listeners out there, take that as a, as an official double down WNBA apology on regarding Tina Charles. Yeah. A, a big time mea culpa, I think. Big time. Um, big time. Uh, where should we go from here? Okay. Let's, let's focus on Chicago a little bit because obviously we know what Washington did and looking at the box where Chicago uh, I mean, there, there, there are a couple of things to look at for one, the minutes distribution was kind of weird. Um, I mean, obviously it's, it's an overtime game, so everyone's gonna be playing a lot, but as Ray Stevens, Ruthie Hebert and Astu Dufal, none of them played more than 10 minutes. Um, Lexi Brown DNP and this guy just didn't get a lot from several of their rotation players. And I mean, if you look up and down the list, it's, it's not surprising that they lost this game. The one positive that you can kind of take from the low minutes from, from Stevens, from Hebert, from Indufall is that Steph Dolson was able to give you 30 minutes in this game and, and only picked up two falls. Obviously, right. you know, Dolson was great as I, and I definitely want to get into Dolson a little bit more later on, but for her to be able to give you that type of minutes to, to not get into early fall trouble or, or fourth quarter fall trouble, where you're kind of keeping an eye on that, you know, that's, I guess uh, a positive, but they really kind of Chicago, I felt didn't really know where they wanted to go with their third bigs. You know, they tried Stevens and Hebert. They tried Stevens and Dufall. I don't think they tried and Dufall and Hebert together at all, but you saw, I think it was Hebert in, in the first half and a little bit more and Dufall Stevens in the second half, but you know, not a, a ton of kind of game action, long stints for either or for any of those options. I think 
Sky Twitter is is particularly upset with the low minutes for Ruthie Hebert uh, as, <laughs> as she's been, you know, a very effective player this year. Maybe arguably their third best big, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe that's inarguably uh, for for Sky fans. But is there something sort of matchup specific about Washington that makes you not want to play Hebert big minutes or? Did they just kind of lean on their starters maybe a, a little bit more than usual? Well, for one, I think Heber is just going to get eaten alive by Tina Charles in the post. But it, it's interesting because if you look at what Heber's done this season, I thought this would have been a good matchup for her. If she's not, if she's on the non-Charles uh, front court player like uh, Plaisance or, or Gustafson or whoever else they're throwing out there, because she does have the, the decently quick feet and the quick hands. We've seen her be pretty adept at, at recording steals and, and athletic plays on defense. And that seems like the type of player who you want to have out there, if not guarding the post exclusively, the, the other post player to kind of either help off plays on Sir Gustafson and, and be able to recover in time or just be disruptive enough to cause to uh, create some plays out there on defense, you know, but um, yeah, Hebert had, I believe only one stint. I don't think she played at all in the second half. She, she got blocked by Charles once. And then that was pretty much all we saw from her. And then Dufall, uh, I mean, not much to write home about. Old five from the fields didn't really contribute anything. Uh, 75 offensive rating for the sky when a stew was on the court tonight. Yeah, not good. And then Azrae Stevens did not play good basketball either in her stint. So, like, it, it makes sense why Stevens and Fall and Dufall didn't play much. But I thought Hebert maybe could have gotten a better look, you know, even even if like you're just matching her up against Gustafson, because I think that's a decent matchup for her. So. I don't know. And then when you're playing from behind all the time you're, you're, and you're looking for players to generate offense, I think this guy could have given Hebert some more minutes. Yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot of people agree with you. I hope Hebert kind of gets back to, I mean, how, how are you kind of seeing these players in, in your head? Do you have more confidence in Hebert? You know, not, not just against Washington, but just in, in sort of a specific or in like a general, uh, you know, for this team, for the rotation I mean, is Hebert kind of your the third big in your mind, or are you still kind of hoping it, it comes around for Stevens? I'm definitely hoping it comes around for Stevens because I just think she's a better fit for modern basketball and just a much more higher ceiling player. But if it doesn't, I think you really need to start looking at Hebert because she does several things, or at least one thing, and that's rolling and finishing very, 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 very well. And that's indisputable. You know, it, it's, it's kind of the the argument of, do you take the mystery box or do you take the sure thing, you know? And I hate to say it because I'm a big fan, but Azrae Stevens right now is, is kind of a mystery box. And we pretty much know that a student do fall is, I don't know. I don't really think she needs to play at all, to be honest with you. You've got the, the veteran presence and she's got the length out there, but I'm not sure what she contributes right now that nobody else in this roster can contribute. And you probably don't need to be going 10 deep into your rotation at this point. You know, maybe, maybe I just thought of something, maybe like it was the last game before the break for this guy. So maybe Wade just said, okay, we, I can, I can run my starters heavy minutes. I, I don't know, but I just keep going back to those Hebert. I mean, she played four minutes. That's, I don't think, I don't think her earlier, her earlier production this season was just a product of the minutes she was playing. I think she was legitimately good. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I do agree strongly. Okay. Um, And I think, it's it's getting to the point that Hebert should probably be like the first big off the bench for mm-hmm. for this guy. I think you know you as you always say you know she's kind of uh, what you see is what you get type player, but what you see and what you get are really really good, good um, yeah. in terms of like what her strengths are. She's just a, an incredibly efficient player. The offense is is 
just about always good, particularly when Allie Quigley and Ruthie Hebert share the floor. Like, you know, you're going to outscore opponents in those bench lineups and for a starting group that kind of struggles to score a lot of times to have that reliable offense from the bench with two kind of, uh, you know, really, really solid bench offensive players, even if they're not putting up, you know, Ruthie Hebert isn't scoring 20 a game, but you, you know, she's opening things up for the offense as a, a very effective roller, solid offensive rebounder, stuff like that. So let's talk about some of the players who did play heavy minutes in okay. this game. Uh, what did you think about Courtney Vandersloot's game? Um, this might've been the worst 13 point, 15 assist game in WNBA history. Uh, I love Courtney Vandersloot, but I don't think she played a good game at all. Honestly, I think those stats are deceiving. She missed all six of her three-point attempts. And a few of those, like within the within the flow of the game, would have been would have been crucial for her to hit. And her defense was bad. I think Vandersuit has had a pretty decent defensive year, actually, particularly just being active out there and, and generating those steals. I mean, the numbers bear that out, but I mean, she got beat both off the dribble and, you know, caught ball watching and, you know, off the basketball and stuff several times. And she also committed some, some pretty bad fouls, particularly towards the end of the game there. So I, I don't know what it was. I know Sky fans listening are probably going to get on me for that, for that comment, but um, I honestly don't think she was that great. And, you know, I, you know for me, sorry, sorry to cut you off. You're good. Did, no, did you want to go? Okay. Um, I mean, for me, like it, the miss is obviously hurt like going over six, but to me, I think like the, the key moment in the struggle of Courtney Vandersloot in this game, Chicago is kind of, you know, they finally go to the lineup that I think is, is their best five player lineup, you know, seven minutes or so left in the game. They cut the lead down to five 73, 68. And then we, we get a, a pretty rough sequence of possessions for Courtney Vandersloot where, you know, we, she is in the midst of this tough shooting game, but she just turns down a wide open three-pointer you know there's nobody even really in the same zip code as her just kind of takes forever to figure out what she wants to do eventually copper uh decides to cut down the baseline and salute tries to find her but it, it turns into a turnover and you know that's just a look that can can turn around a bad shooting night and courtney vandersloot just just turned it down and eventually uh turned it over the next possession you know she gets all the way to the rim on a nice pick and roll with Steph Dolson, but just misses at the rim. And then the following possession, it's a shot clock violation as Sloot turns down another open three in the corner. So I, I've said before that, you know, when she's, when she's aggressive, the sky are, are at their best. And then we, we kind of talked recently about how, well, maybe she doesn't need to have that big of a scoring burning because that hadn't gone too well when it wasn't going well for them. But this was kind of like the other end of that. It got to at least kind of late in the game, you know, Sloot really, I think kind of, uh, didn't want to score the basketball. And that culminated, I think, even later in, in the game. Again, Sloot kind of didn't want to challenge Tina Charles at the rim and, and tried to pass it out last second and turned it over again. So, you know, the, the numbers look fine. You know, like you said, 13 points, 15 assists, only four turnovers, which, which you know, if you have 15 assists, I think you're pretty happy with pretty four, good, yeah. four steals. But uh, I, I think we, we both agree, like the defense was not that good. The offense at times was pretty shaky. So it's Courtney Vandersloot, like she shot pretty well, but I think, you know, she definitely has the type of jump shot that it, it's, it's going to kind of wax and wane, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Steph Dolson's game. I thought she was, she was great. I thought she was really a huge part of kind of them coming back late in the game offensively. You know, I think, what did she have three layups in, in the fourth quarter as they were kind of 
you know, they just kind of ran pick and roll after pick and roll. Uh, and she was, she was great kind of, uh, you know, stagger pick and roll where it was her and Parker. She was nine for 10 from two, eight for eight in the paint tonight. You know, she missed both her threes, but I, that that's fine. I think, like I mentioned, she was great in her minutes guarding Tina Charles, which was not, you know, ex- extensive, but she was, she had that matchup for a while and, and totally held her own. Uh, she, I thought, played out on the perimeter defensively pretty well. You know, there was one possession with Ariel Atkins specifically where she contested really well. And, you know, she was one of the few sky players, I think, who could punish when Washington was switching and, and Washington switches a lot. And, you know, Dolson was able to beat that quite a few times and, you know, not a lot of these sky players. And that was another thing about Vandersloot's game. If, if I could just take a step back is, you know, just not attacking, you know, Tina Charles on a switch or Teresa Plaisance on a switch. Um, you know, I thought there was a lot of oppor- missed opportunities there, but for Dolson, you know, she did take advantage of those switches and, and that she was just really great overall. Well, you bring up a good point there and that this guy had a, had a big problem punishing mismatches and punishing switches. And that's, that's a whole different can of worms that we can open up, but uh, yeah, you're right. Steph Dolson was amazing, particularly late in that pick and roll game. Uh, nine to 12, very efficient nine to 12 from the field and 20 points, a game high or a team high plus eight. So Kudos to Steph Dolson for that. But yeah, she was, and the defense, yeah, it was good. Uh, and I see that with a like, surprise in my voice, but you don't expect to be able to switch success uh, successfully with Stephanie Dolson too often, but she did hold her own against, you know, some of the mystics uh, perimeter players. And maybe that's, maybe the the punishing mismatches is a, is, a, is a problem for the mystics perimeter players too, because not many of them really got by Dolson off a dribble too often. So that's, I mean, that's terrific. I mean, if, if you can get that from Stephanie Dolson on, on defense, that you, you've saved yourself a tremendous headache because you know, obviously if Tina Charles is on the floor and you've, and you've got uh, Dolson getting beat off the dribble and you have to help, and that's just a free offensive rebound and layup for, for Tina Charles. But yeah, Dolson, I think, was, was, was really, really good in this game. Um, and as you said before, the minutes bear it out. The fact that you're able to get 30 and a half minutes from her really spoke volumes about how she played because she couldn't be taken off the floor. Yeah, so she she was great, and the other kind of best player on the court, uh, I guess you know Candace Parker was good, but I thought you know offensively, as per usual, the sky's best offensive player was Allie Quigley. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Still, the sky's uh, only real threat from behind the three point line. You could argue that Dolson really the Dolson is too, but she doesn't get nearly the amount of respect from defenses that Quigley does. And I mean, some of the shots that Allie Quigley hit were were huge shots maybe towards the end of the game she kind of she kind of struggled a little bit there that that one deep three-pointer I think it was an overtime they didn't really need that but yeah she was she was really good she's basically I mean, was can, can I just I think you know that that's a fine shot for it's you know maybe so. a half step out but like I mean are you like it would you would you have been surprised if she can that like it well was... they, they were down and they were running out of time so it, it's a question of like well if you take the quick two you're still you're still losing so yeah I, I could understand that uh and she you know, had it going from three. She was four of eight from three, six to 12 overall. I mean, she hit four of their six threes. Like this was a team that was desperately needing something, particularly scoring it. And the other thing, their four starters in this game, you know, Vandersloot, Copper, Parker, and Dolson with DeShields as the fifth player, they were a minus five. And with Quigley as the fifth player, they were plus nine. So each of those lineups played 12 minutes. So we got kind of the same sample and they were, uh, you know, obviously late in the game we, we didn't see diamond shields really except for a defensive substitution for the last you know eight minutes of um regulation and then spot duty in overtime and the starters 
with Quigley were, were really, really good. And they kind of made this comeback happen, took the lead, obviously, um, until the Shields defensive substitution play where, you know, Atkins got that three, you know, it was a pretty clean look for, you know, having a defensive sub, but yeah, I thought that I was, was going in. Uh, and then, you know, obviously it, it sailed, um, but process over results, uh, I would say. Uh, and nevertheless, Tina Charles got the rebound and, and sent the game to overtime. But I mean, maybe this is a little bit of, a, of an overreaction or I'm just being too pessimistic, but I'm getting to the point where I, I don't really, I'm having a hard time trusting this team scoring or trusting them offensively without Quigley in the game. I don't think that's an overreaction um, because when you have both copper and shields in the game, we've talked about this before, right? You know, they're both, they're somewhat redundant in, in the half court. And if you think about the, the, the types of players they are, they're really athletic. Theoretically, they're really good going to the rim, but once, but going back to this, this not being able to punish switches and punish mis- mismatches and stuff. If diamond is shields cannot beat Teresa Plaisance off the dribble, or if Kalia copper is having trouble beating people off. I think it's the shields more than copper, honestly, but if you have these elite perimeter athletes who can't get to the rim or shoot or like shoot threes reliably, well, then you've got kind of a problem offensively there because everything gets blocked down and, and opposing defenses can kind of just sit back and, and, and let you take bad shots. So yeah, it's, it's a big drop off between Quigley and, and the rush of them, at least in the half court, obviously you have the the transition offense, which it's kind of interesting. You, you said this guy got 20 fast break points. You don't know how, I don't know how either because I, I'm not really sure where all those came from, Stephen. It, it, it seemed like this guy were really unable to to go on sustained runs. Yeah, I think a few of those, you know, I do remember vividly some Courtney Vandersloot transition layups. Um, Allie Quigley, I think, had some pull-up jumpers in transition, particularly during that fourth quarter run. Um, but, you know, 20 does does seem a little bit high still. But, you know, back to Diamond DeShields, she, she was two for six in the game. I think both of those two field goals came in the first quarter and, and it was pretty quiet otherwise. And uh, you mentioned, you know, not being able to beat Teresa Plaisance. Like there was that, uh, I think you were kind of referring, there, there was a three, five pick and roll that kind of just like turned into instead of diamond, you know, challenging Plaisance at, at the rim, she just kind of turned it into like a one-legged fadeaway instead of going strong over Teresa Plaisance, uh, a player, not really known for her uh, verticality or defensive prowess. Uh, so I think that was disappointing. You know, she um, had that driving reverse layup, I think trying to get some separation on cloud. Um, she airballed her first attempt as a corner three. So, you know, her, her first basket was being active off the ball, cutting along the baseline. And I think that's, you know, that that's good diamond to shows, right? That's when she's going to be at her best is when she's active off ball and kind of finding those lanes and, you know, taking spot ups. I think those are perfectly reasonable attempts, obviously getting out in transition, but I also thought it was just like a really rough defensive game for diamond to shields. Oh, it was bad. In fact, the one play that really stood out was Tina Charles got a wide open three from like almost exactly the top of the key. And you saw it like, like James Wade was incensed. He was, he was so mad. Uh, and he, he, he got diamond to shields out of the game for that. Uh, right yeah, so, away. So Parker, had switched on to Gustafson who was rolling down the uh, rolling down the lane and diamond kind of stayed with Gustafson as well. When, you know, she obviously should have been the player up top with Charles. Uh, and that was, you know, as easy a look as Tina Charles is just about ever going to get. So um, that, that was pretty rough. It's, it's maddening, honestly, um, the, the way the shields has been playing as, as a sky fan. I mean, I mean, what's, what's, what's going on? Like we know she's healthy now. So where, where is this, where's everything we saw? 
a couple of seasons ago. I, I can I can understand if people are losing their patience with her, honestly. Uh, was there anyone else individually that you think we should hit on? Um, not really. Uh, I, I think we should talk a little bit about Washington because, like I said before, it wasn't all Tina Charles, you know? Yeah, I mean, I thought Natasha Cloud had a really strong game, you know, doesn't bear it out in, like, awesome efficiency, but just, you know, as always, like, she she kind of has the floor game you need, and, and you know, she was a minus four in this game, which isn't great, but I thought she was good. You know, she she got her shoulder uh, into Courtney Vandersloot a few times for some tough layups. You know, she defended whichever wing she was uh, tasked to guard at a given time really well. You know, neither one of their wings, uh, Chicago's wings, were able to kind of really get it going, and, and Cloud was a big part of that. And then, you know, their, their other Olympian, Ariel Atkins, was, you know, she had that rough miss that you know uh benefited i guess in some ways the mystics because it was so bad it fell right into the good pass right yeah exactly off the opposite side of the backboard but i mean she was a team best plus 14 i mean she's just a a great player and and so many respects she forced like um a great late turnover quigley was uh hold on i have it in my notes here quigley who i think was really one of the only sky players who was uh, perimeter players, excuse me, one of the only Sky perimeter players who was able to punish Washington switches and Teresa Plaisance specifically, you know, we are uh, late in overtime here and the Sky are just down, they're they're down five with, you know, just over a minute left and Quigley goes to attack a Teresa Plaisance switch uh, and Ariel Atkins just a great dig down on the drive, you know, Quigley's kind of going left um, and Atkins, you know, forces the turnover and, and that's just, you know, she's so good as a one-on-one defender and so good as a help defender, you know, you, you can just use her any, any way you need to, and she's going to make plays. Uh, and I think she's actually slightly better as a help defender because of plays like this. She's, she's able to force turnover. She's able to dig down. She's able to get down into the ball and, and force, uh, dribbling turnovers like this. And, and, you know, it, it kind of sealed the game for the mystics in this one. Yeah, intelligence, uh, even keeled, very, very steady on both ends of the floor. Just envious of any team that has Ariel Atkins on it. Yeah, it's the type of kind of defensive prowess on and off the ball that, you know, Sky fans kind of imagine the best case of, of Diamond to Shields being, but but Atkins is... Yeah, same you know, draft class. At, Atkins is already that player. Um, and she was, you know, it wasn't her best shooting night, you know, only one for one for three from behind the arc is it seemed like nobody could really hit a shot in this game. If, if you weren't, <laughs> it, was rough. Yeah, it was rough. Um, but yeah, I mean, she, she's, she's great. This was a, a great game. It, it was also nice to see Shatori Walker Kimbrough getting some burn. It seems like she's back home, you know, with, with the mystics. Yeah. Clearly more comfortable there than she was anywhere else. Um, she played a lot of, she played almost 38 minutes. Uh, Leilani, what Leilani Mitchell, not with the team because uh, she's playing for team Australia. So basically everyone there, every Australian, except for Sandy Brodello is it was with team Australia was with team Australia. Um, so yeah, Mystics had a short rotation, but Shatori Walker Kimbrough five for 10 from the field missed both of her three pointers. But as you said, she, she just seemed a whole lot more comfortable. She made a couple moves uh, going to the basket, which I didn't really expect to see from her, but uh, she had a couple shots going to the room. I believe she was, she was really good. You know, just a Mike Tebow success story, like uh, one of the many, as as there always is. Should we move on to Minnesota and Las Vegas? Yeah, let's move on. Something tells me we're not going to have as much to discuss here, but uh, the Lynx winning seventy-seven to sixty-seven over the Aces on Friday night. A little bit of history in this game. Lynx becoming the first WNBA team ever to win a game without attempting a single free throw. 
They're actually only the second WNBA team ever to not attempt a free throw in a game. The last were the Washington Mystics in a game against the Charlotte Sting in 2003. So, Stephen, how did the heck did the Lynx win without shooting any free throws? Well, it was a total defensive slog. Um, 95 offensive rating for Minnesota. Season low, 83.8 offensive rating for Vegas. So Minnesota outscored Vegas in the paint, 38 to 30 advantage Minnesota. This is just the fourth time this season Vegas has been outscored in the paint and Minnesota is responsible for two of those four. So Vegas basically went with a seven player rotation with, you know, some, some spot minutes for park and Slocum, but really the bulk of their minutes kind of went to seven players. And I think it wasn't a great stat line for Sylvia Fowles. I think she had, you know, 14 points on 14 shooting possessions maybe, but I thought she was the best player in this game. I would agree with that. If she wasn't the best player, she was that second best player, but, um, Turns out if you start a player on Sylvia Fowles who is entirely paint bound, it will not benefit you because she is such a beast on defense. She's, she's a very intelligent defender and she's remains one of the best defensive playmakers in the game. Um, I, can this- I, 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 I don't understand Vegas's commitment to going big in this game, you know, Kia Stokes and honestly, maybe Sylvia Fowles biggest impact in this game was Kia Stokes playing 29 minutes, but like doesn't, Hamby at the four and Asia Wilson at the five to guard Nafisa Collier and Demir Stantis, um, you know, as your, as your fours, doesn't that make more sense uh, both offensively and defensively? Yeah, You're not, you're not going to out big Sylvia Fowles. So why, why not try to create a mismatch somewhere, you know? Yeah. And you know, she Stokes did hold quote unquote Sylvia Fowles to four of seven in the paint when she was matched up, you know, that that's fine. I guess Fowles hit a couple, you know, uh, what 16 foot jumpers on her at the top of the key, which, you know, if you're Kia Stokes, I guess you kind of live with those, but I think Wilson would have been fine on Sylvia falls, particularly, particularly when you are so aggressively double teaming so frequently anyway, like if you are, if your game plan is to constantly send doubles, then why are you going with the individual, the better individual defender for this matchup at the expense of playing a better player and playing a better lineup? Uh, You know, if, if you're not letting that player kind of defend one-on-one either way, you know? Right. And, and, and for the context, obviously they started Kia Stokes because Cam Beige is, is resting, uh, getting prepared to play with the uh, Australian national team. So Cam Beige to Stokes, obviously a pretty big drop off, but uh, Minnesota did some impressive things defensively elsewhere, uh, holding Asia Wilson to just four or 15 from the field. Yeah. And well, I, I wanted to talk about Stokes and Falls a little bit more before, oh, yeah, I mean, go for if, it. if you don't mind, like I thought Vegas really just got nothing out of their pick and roll game outside of a few Raquana Williams pull up twos. And uh, another reason why maybe you go with Wilson and, and Hamby at the four and the five, rather than Stokes to have one of your good players actually playing in the pick and roll, you know, Stokes is just not a role threat. And Sylvia Falls just did a great job staying connected to both the roller and the ball handler throughout the game, you know, outside of those couple Raquana Williams pull up twos, you know, one of them was a little bit tougher than the other one, you know, Falls was playing at the level of the ball on one. And then, you know, a little bit further back on the other one, but when it was Chelsea gray Falls was, was just able to stay connected to both of them and and make life really tough. Uh, And the other thing is Jackie young. Uh, I think this was a good preview of how good teams and good coaches are going to defend Jackie young, which is to say they're, they're not going to really, they're not, (laughs) you know, we, we saw a couple Asia Wilson attempts where Nafisa Collier, who was not guarding Asia Wilson was just all over Asia Wilson going vertically and, and challenging her. 
I want to say it was maybe Asia Wilson's second or third shot attempt where she takes kind of like an elbow jumper and both Demiris Dantas and Nafisa Collier, you know, you're just shooting over four arms um, because Nafisa Collier just is completely ignoring Jackie Young uh, on the, on the wing. So, I mean, Collier did not have a great offensive night, but the way she did not guard Jackie Young, I thought made life miserable for everybody else on Vegas. And I agree with you. I, I see no reason why opponents won't do that same defensive strategy if Young won't at least cut to the hoop or be a threat to make a three-point shot. Because right now, I don't think the Aces aren't even looking for her on offense. So, like, what's the point, right? Yeah, I mean, she had like she had two spot-up long twos. I mean, you know, you, you gotta okay, yeah. gotta make those threes, right? You know, she she just has kind of stopped taking threes, and I, I think she maybe took one in this game. But yeah, they just they they didn't get enough, and obviously, you know, Hamby played a ton in this game, but played primarily at the three. Uh, and you know, one thing I, I'd like to see more from Vegas, like Chelsea gray has the size to play the three. If you are, you know, down shifting a little bit more and they eventually late in the game, a, a stretch that I, I wanted to talk about a little bit later on, but they did eventually go to Hamby at the four Wilson at the five. Um, but the combination of, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, and Raquana Williams, those players have played together for all of, I think, 22 minutes this season. So when you feel like you need a little bit more offense from that position, you know, Jackie Young is not getting guarded or the mid-range isn't working or something like that, you know, I, I would love to see that a little bit more, and I would have liked to see it in this game. Chelsea Gray also creates mismatches for her um, and herself, you know? Like, you, t- you talk about it a lot. Point guards don't often guard Chelsea Gray especially on this team, you know, obviously if, if Alicia Clarendon is out there, they can probably get away with it. But if, if they're not, you know, Gray is, Gray is at truly a big guard. You know, there are, there are a lot of quote unquote big guards on this Aces team. Uh, but yeah, you know, and Chelsea Gray didn't really have that spectacular of a, spectacular of a game, but you're right. I mean, she does create some problems for opponents that other players on this team just don't. And when you really, really need a bucket, I mean, they scored 67 points. What, what, what kind of lineups are you running out there? Ones that can't score, mostly. Yeah, obviously. Um, uh, I did want to talk about Laser Clarendon as it relates to Chelsea Gray. I thought he really has the strength in ways in the ways that a lot of guards in this league don't in terms of, you know, just kind of physically, you know, Chelsea Gray is such a strong player. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to not get bullied, you know, and Clarendon, I thought actually had the physicality advantage in a lot of this game, you know, got got her shoulder into Gray a few times. Uh, 11 paint twos for Lasia Clarendon tonight, you know, only four in the restricted area, but still seven for 11 in the paint. Uh, and I thought was, you know, one of Minnesota's better players tonight. Obviously this is a tough matchup for Crystal Dangerfield who ended up leaving this game with an injury and we'll see how long Dangerfield is out for, but, you know, between Clarendon really fighting strongly over and through screens in the pick and roll and fouls, you know, not really having to worry about Stokes as a roller, you know, they, they really did a great job of bottling up Chelsea Gray, I thought. I also want to talk about Laisha Clarendon. This was maybe Laisha Clarendon's best game of the season. I mean, they've been pretty darn good for the Lynx ever since uh, they got signed. But Clarendon, I mean, you're right. He's a very strong player. And one of the few players that can't really get knocked off their spot versus Chelsea Gray. When I think of Laisha Clarendon playing, this, this was the quintessential Laisha Clarendon game for me because she's, she's patient with the ball. And she's really good at getting into the paint, you know, getting two feet into the paint, not with just like blinding speed, 
but by using screens effectively and using her dribble effectively and like I said, not getting bumped off of a spot, you know? So the, the, the size on the perimeter that the aces have, they're going to have that advantage against virtually any other team. It doesn't bother Laisha Clarendon. I, I would almost say it almost looks like Laisha Clarendon, he, he welcomes that contact, you know? And when the aces can't create havoc at the point of attack like that, that's huge for Minnesota. Yeah. And Clarendon honestly held up a little bit better on gray than I, I would have expected. You know, gray is, is such a strong player, but of course it was helped by Minnesota essentially playing five on three in those starters versus starters minutes, you know, really just focusing on Asia gray and whether it was Williams or plum, but yeah, Clarendon w- was great. Like a ton of offensive boys when this team, like it was not a really good offense for, for, for a ton of Minnesota's players and, Clarendon just has a really kind of patient dribble drive game where it's, it's very unconventional uh, in terms of how he gets into the paint, how he, you know, finds their way to the front of the rim or, or to the restricted area. And honestly, this, like you said, this was just a great, a great Clarendon game. And, and this is a, a great matchup for Minnesota. Happy to have Leisure Clarendon, I'm sure against this ACES team. Absolutely. And, and just, just a quick, another quick note on Clarendon. Um, they actually came into the league as a shooting guard they, who was kind of shoehorned into the point guard position. And for the first couple of years, it was not good. You know, Laisha kind of bounced around the league from Indiana to Atlanta, I believe, but she was able to stay home and, and, and train and work out individually instead of playing overseas. And I think that's kind of where this unorthodox, but effective dribble drive game you refer to. And what I was referring to as well, came from because he was able to kind of stay home and work on his strengths and, and basically turn himself into a player who while unorthodox is, is still very effective, especially in, in today's WNBA. So kudos to Laisha, really happy to see her still on a WNBA team and thriving. And you can bet, you know, even with Crystal Dangerfield now out, hope she, hope she gets better soon, but um, Clarendon is going to be getting all they can handle moving forward. Yeah. For Dangerfield, uh, she left the game 46 seconds into her second half stint. She did play in the first half. It looks like a, it looked like a separated shoulder, right? Shoulder, Fight, yeah. Fighting over an Asia Wilson screen. I think sure we've made a comment about that being a, a moving screen or a dirty screen or something like that. But uh, you know, those things happen. This is for me, I think this might be a little bit tougher to overcome than their other recent injuries and, and Crystal Dangerfield you know, has not been as good as I thought Crystal Dangerfield would be coming into the season. But, you know, you just look at kind of the replaceability, right, of Ariel Powers, great player, max player, but this team has good wings. They have a lot of options that they can go to at the wing. You know, Natalie Chanwa, you know, a little bit of a disappointing season for Chanwa, I think, but still, uh, you know, this team has, you know, they can downshift to Damaris Dantas at the the five or, or you know, the four or five uh, with Collier, you know, kind of, defensively handling the interior. So I think, you know, even, even if those other players, Achanwa and Powers are more established or more effective players in Powers case than Crystal Dangerfield, like, you know, Rachel Bannum to me, this is not the role for Rachel Bannum kind of playing the backup point, running the offense. Like she's best used as a floor spacer, as a spot up shooter, not her strength uh, as an initiator, in my opinion. So we'll see how it goes and maybe she'll be back, you know, before the break ends or whatever, but I'm a little worried, I think. Yeah, as am I. Uh, if, if any team can overcome it, that's this. it's this team. But this was something we were concerned about before the season started, was Minnesota's point guard depth. That was before they signed Clarendon. Who was going to back up Crystal Dangerfield? Well, now it's who's backing up Lacia Clarendon. Um, I don't think either of us are very high on Benham's, uh, Benham's chances there. 
are they going to bring in another player? I don't know. I mean, they've got Natasha Mack sitting there on the bench, but I think now uh, another guard might be who it might be better suited on this team. We'll see what they do. I mean, if they play defense like this, it's, it's going to be a problem for whoever they're playing against, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's worrisome for sure for their depth moving forward. Fortunately, if there was a time for an injury, you know, now's the time because you've got the Olympic break coming up for some of their players, you know, they've got a couple of Olympians there, but We'll see what they do. We'll see. Hopefully Dangerfield's injury isn't as bad as it seems. And, and we'll see her back out there in August. So one, one other thing I just wanted to talk about a little bit was it seemed, especially kind of through the first, you know, three quarters of this game before things got a little bit more spaced out as both teams played smaller in the fourth quarter. But it seemed like both teams really, their defensive identity was going to be to pack the paint. You know, Vegas, that was definitely something they wanted to do. And I think Minnesota, Damaris Dantas specifically early in the game, Minnesota was able to punish that from the perimeter a lot more than, you know, big surprise than, than Vegas was from three where mm-hmm. Dantas hit four threes in the first quarter. I think that opened things up a little bit. You know, Asia Wilson was the primary defender on Dantas. And I think all four of those three point attempts in the first quarter at the time of Dantas's catch, Asia Wilson had two feet in the paint. So you know, uh, an opportunity, you know, not to beat the drum too much, but an opportunity where, you know, playing Hamby uh, as the four and Wilson at the five maybe would have made a little bit more sense in this matchup. But I, I think, you know, Bill maybe just thought that Wilson doesn't have the the size or didn't want to pick up a couple fouls on her, but Minnesota was just able to kind of punish them that, uh, playing in all their players in the paint in a way that, you know, like Jackie Young, for example, not to pick on her too much, but Collier, I thought was a defensive menace in this game because of uh, her help defense playing off Jackie Young and in a way that Vegas just wasn't able to. No, you're kidding me. This is, this was a dream game for Nafisa Collier. Struggled for the field on offense, but on defense, I mean, whenever you have a player of, of Collier's length and, and basketball IQ roaming, you just let her roam on defense and, and create havoc. It's it's really no wonder Vegas struggled to score like that. So did you have any thoughts in particular about the the end of the game or kind of that last stretch? You know, seven minutes to go, I think, is when we saw Wilson play center with Hamby at the four alongside Young, Plum, and Gray. And for Minnesota, they, interestingly enough, for essentially a five minute stretch while Vegas played this smaller lineup until they essentially waved the white flag. They didn't play. They hardly played Collier up until the end and they didn't play Sylvia Falls at all in this small lineup. I'm kind of curious why that is uh, Jessica Shepard, maybe not the best matchup individual matchup against this team, especially when they're playing small. Um, I thought Plum was really good in this game and she's really you know, she came back from this, that Achilles and, and after specifically since she came back from uh, playing for the three on three uh, practicing with the team. I, no, when she came back from competing with the three on three team overseas, uh, she's really proven her worth again for this ACES team. You know, we had this little exchange on Twitter, you and I about who was their uh, fourth best player. I think, I, I think Hamby is the better player, but I think Plum is individually more important to what the ACES do basically because, you know, she can play both guard positions and in this role that Lambier has her in, she's going to have the ball in her hands a lot. And she's a pretty consistent playmaker out there, especially for this team, because, you know, Chelsea Gray started really hot. She's kind of cooled off as the season has gone on. But Plum, I feel you can put the ball in her hands often, and she's a threat to create shots for either for herself or, her, or for others and keep the pace going as well, which is very key for this Aces team. So um, I thought Plum was really good in the second half. She... Uh, she kind of kept this team afloat sort of great. It was, it was a pretty hard hole to dig out of, but yeah. Yeah. And plum, you know, she's not necessarily like 
a three level scorer because she's not a great mid range player. That's kind of like her most inefficient area, but she's a, a two level scorer that does the two that you really want her to do. You know, she, she gets to the rim really well. We saw that thought she had some really good uh, attempts was four for five in the restricted area. You know, a lot of that was kind of transition or semi-transition, especially when Vegas was playing with a little bit more of an open floor. Um, you know, she didn't hit the three ball too well, I don't think. Um, but, you know, she had that nice and one to kind of cut it down to 13. I think it was early in the fourth when it looked like Vegas would would maybe make their run. But yeah, she's, I think you, you put it well. You know, she is maybe not the the better WNBA player than Dierica Hamby. Uh, I think she might be, but it's close enough to kind of debate it. But I definitely think she is kind of more necessary for kind of what Vegas wants to do and the success given the other options that, you know, obviously uh, Vegas has at, at the big positions. But um, she she kept them in it for a while or early kind of kept them within striking distance, I thought. Um, but obviously it just wasn't enough. You know, you talk about what teams or how teams are going to defend the aces in the playoffs. They're going to, I think we're going to see a whole lot more of Kelsey Plum in the playoffs. Because what was that run a couple of years ago when Lambeer was basically forced to play Plum a lot more in that series against the Mystics and, and she balled out. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that sort of result again. Yeah. One thing I thought uh, interesting about the end of this game is, you know, I think Vegas, as they went a little bit smaller, they, they kind of tried to go. Um, it was a very switchable lineup against Minnesota, you know, Minnesota, like I said, playing with Clarendon McBride, or maybe I didn't say it, Clarendon McBride, Carlton Shepard and Dantas. Like you think that's a lineup where you can really, you know, you're not worried a ton about kind of switch busting, I guess, you know, players that can uh, punish you inside or, you know, Dantas can post up a little bit. Maybe McBride can, can kind of uh, has enough juice off the bounce, but not really. But I thought Vegas, when they did try to switch, it, it was a little bit too sloppy. Uh, they didn't kind of, they, they didn't have it well executed. It's obviously not something that they, you know, it's not a bread and butter of theirs. So as they went to this smaller lineup, they didn't execute that well. Uh, and for Minnesota, like I, uh, I, I kind of asked you about it before, but I don't really understand like the hesitancy to play Sylvia Fowles against this smaller lineup. Like, are you worried about Asia Wilson's 16 footers taking falls too far away from the hoop? Um, and, and they ended up going with Jess Shepard, who, you know, ended up as a plus five in this game, but I did not think was very good. Uh, frankly, I thought in the first half specifically, you know, just had a ton of kind of like grind your offense to a halt record scratch moments where she just caught the ball wide open uh, above the three point line and would just kind of, you know, take a, a step and dribble handoff to someone or, uh, you know, just kind of bounce it around a couple of times before another pass. She had some buckets inside and obviously she's not, a well-accomplished three-point shooter, but I thought she she had some really tough moments where, you know, it just kind of, like I said, just really brought things to a halt when she caught it extremely open at the top of the arc. And, you know, she's just a little bit more valuable of a player if, if she's able to can those, but that's that's not her game. And I, I don't really understand her playing heavy minutes. Yeah, you know, on one hand, you had you had the team going into the Olympic break and, you know, maybe you're, you're trying to save, follow some wear and tear there, but... Uh, Individually matchup, like like individually uh, matchup speaking, matchup wise speaking, I don't know how to say that, but um, you're right. You know, I don't think this is a good Jess Shepard matchup, and I think fouls. You know, it, it, honestly, you could almost encourage Asia Wilson to take those those long two pointers. You know, and, and have Sylvia Fowles just camp out in the paint there. But yeah, well said. Did you have anything else on this game? You know, uh, Kayla McBride. I thought it was just kind of you know a, a 
an unspectacular game for McBride. Uh, she didn't really stand out in, in any way. It was nice to see her can a couple threes on the move, but other than that, I, I don't really have too much on her. Uh, anything else you wanted to hit on? Uh, not in particular. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at Double Down WNBA, at Nemchak E for Eric's account, at Trinkwald for myself. Hope everybody enjoys a nice month-long break without WNBA basketball, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody.